when it's about 3.30 in the morning, one thing you never want to find is water on the kitchen floor. Especially when it's 10 or 12 degrees outside and you think, how in the world did this water get here? Wow, what fun. Anyway, not a big deal, not a big problem. But if you're barefoot and it's cold outside, you don't want water on the kitchen floor. Just write that down somewhere. It's profound and deep. We're at the beginning of a year, and while, as we say, it's just another day, it is within our minds at least a time of reflection, and so we think, all right, where do we go? Where do we go from here? What, what do I need to do? You know, it's a time of resolutions, a time of thought, a thought, time of prediction, time of looking forward. And I thought, what in the world am I going to tell you this year? You know, over the last 45 or so years of doing this, there's all, there have been all those new years that have come around and always try to come up with something, always think about something, give you a list of things we ought to do, ought to be, or something like that. But you know, I, I don't really know. I think we always can use something. We can always use something to remind us. And so today, I offer to you the thought, because we are to be tied to the Lord, because we are His, I want to deal with a, a statement question, a rhetorical statement in the book of Hebrews this morning because he makes a statement the writer there says whose house we are talking about Jesus he says whose house we are we abide in him we live in him we are in that sense but he turns it around backward and says whose house we are we are his house and his family let's read that passage let's read that passage Hebrews chapter 3 verses 3 through 6 for this one speaking of Jesus For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You see, the reminder is very simple. That goes along with your class this morning, Trey. The reminder is very simple. Whose house we are. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of whose house we are. We need to remind of who we are, whose we are, and where we belong. Maybe when you were a child, you you may have gotten the same talk that... uh, Many others received along the way. I won't name anybody along that way such as me. Yes, I think there were a lot of those heart-to-heart talks in childhood and growing up and so forth. The one I'm noting and talking about today is the one that identifies with authority and response within the family, within the household. It was usually shared when there was some sort of disagreement about who could do what and when. In our house, it usually wasn't my father that offered the statement. It was my mother. But there would be that line stated, and she was very strong in it. If you don't like the way things are around here, you can pack your bags and find a new place. Maybe some of you got that line along the way. 
One time my mother even offered to help me pack my bags. I think she was truly ready for me to go. But in all seriousness, I never took her up on the offer because I knew what I had. Sometimes when you know what you got, even if you're kind of struggling along the way, even if you're kind of pushing the limits a little bit, you really don't want to go somewhere else. And so whose house we are, and we are reminded it is Christ's house. With that in mind, I was thinking several years ago, I was just, I don't know where I was going. I was driving, going through a neighborhood, maybe going to visit somebody, maybe going home, maybe just trying to escape. I don't know what I was trying to do. Anyway, driving along, and there was a sign in a yard that got my attention. It was one of those realtor-type signs, but right in the middle of somebody's front yard, and I was driving down the road, and, and I'd seen the same sort of sign many times over. You've seen signs just like it many times over. But anyway, the sign was emblazoned with these words, home for sale. You've seen it. You've seen it at the end of the block, the arrow pointing down there, home for sale. I know what is meant by the sign, and so do you. But isn't it a house that's being sold and not a home? If we stop and think about that a little bit, I think we, we recognize, and, and really, though it may seem a little picky on words, I just I want to use that to help us grasp something here along the way. Because really, though, I don't think it's that picky. My dad owned the house. My dad owned the house in which we grew up. Actually, he didn't own it for many years, but then he owned the house, and it was his house. My mother and dad owned the house. I didn't put a dime into it. I didn't, I didn't pay one mortgage payment. I didn't help them out. I was a drag on society. I cost them, you know. I didn't, I didn't buy that house. They bought that house. But you know, especially in latter years, my dad would say, you know this is your home. You know this is your home. I guess you could say that we had made it a home from the time we moved into that house in which we lived. You probably feel the same way, but maybe I am being a little picky on words, and been so before you think I'm trying to make a double wide out of a utility trailer, it is common for us to interchange those two words, house, home, house, and home. We do it all the time. The key difference in the terms is really in how we use them. It is that a house is something we purchase to own that is identified by us as we live in it. We might say, as you drive to 2700 North Windsor Place, you might say, this is the dyer's house. It is identified with the people who inhabit it, who are there, who live there, who step on water in the kitchen in the middle of the night. It is inhabited by those people. But it is just a house. But it becomes something important because of the ownership of it. And so we think and we interchange those words and we use the word home quite often. And so when we say whose house we are, we're really saying whose dwelling, whose home we are. But think about it. This is someone's home. You go into a house, this is someone's home. And ownership is a key aspect of identifying, of identifying who we are, a key of our own identity, you might say. It's not that our possessions are necessarily our identity. That's not what I'm trying to say. 
But what we claim as owners does tell something about us, what we drive, what we wear, uh, what we own, the things that we, we keep and hold as, as purchases. They tell something about us, sometimes really good, sometimes bad. It's not a bad thing I'm trying to say. And what we consider trash or a, of no value also tells something about us. Paul said he was seeking Christ and throwing out into the garbage some of the things that had been very important in his life in Philippians 3. But we understand that, that there is a, an ownership, there is an identity to it, and there are even general rules in most societies, general rules about houses and even laws about trespassing or doing damage to somebody else's property or somebody else's house. Uh, I think about Jesus' statements about don't let, put your treasures where thieves break in and steal. You know, they talk about that be a thief that breaks in and steals. We have laws about those kind of things. Or, or again, Matthew 12, you know, a strong man's got to come in. Don't, don't, he's got to come in and bind somebody in order to come in and do what he's going to do. Ownership is a key aspect of our identity. And we have certain attitudes about those things. We have certain attitudes about a person's home. Again, many a child has heard that statement when going to visit in someone else's house, has heard one of those statements from a parent along the way and saying, now, remember, we're in somebody else's house. Don't touch, don't mess with, you know, behave yourself while you're here. I hope that wasn't only directed at me. I hope other kids had to hear that along the way as well. But when visiting a home for a first time, as adults even, you think about it, you walk into somebody's home, a place you've never been before. Your eyes begin to search the walls, the furniture, the floors, the colors that are around you. You look around and you see the things that decorate and ornament a home in which you, you attend. You look at the, the size of it. You look at the shape of it. You look at the colors, textures, all of those things. As I said, we look around and we see what's there because it tells us something about the person who lives there. But no matter, no matter how fine or how pitiful a home may be, and I know those look pretty pitiful, how pitiful a home may be is still to be seen as someone else's property, someone else's home where they live. Over the years, I've been in some pretty scroungy places. We used to work up in the mid part of the city more than we do from down here. It was inside of a lot of places that I think, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how the people live here along the way. It was yesterday I went out for a walk with a dog and passing a certain area where somebody had been dwelling, had their shopping carts out there and had had their tents there. Looked like the person was gone, but I was thinking, do you really want to live like that? You know, that runs through my mind, doesn't it, you? But no matter how marvelous, how much of a mansion a place may be, or how, how squalid a place may be, if it's that person's home, it is somebody else's home and is to be treated that way. And so we look at Jesus and we look at the idea of what he is being said about him here. And we are called upon to abide with him. And to let him abide in us. John spent some time with that in John chapter 15 in the teaching of Jesus. And while the illustration is set in reverse in Hebrews, 
whose house we are. We are to abide in Him. And there is a cohabiting existence that is ours as He abides in us, but we also abide in Him in that regard. It is a coexistence with the house and the owner that is in the house, and the two become inseparable in their own way. For example, there is an old story that used to circulate quite a bit where a lady answered the door. The story tells of a young girl who knocked on the door. And the lady answers the door, and the young girl outside has one simple question. Does Jesus live in this house? The lady thought for a minute, didn't really have much to say, and finally she just sent the girl away and closed the door, perplexed by the question. She went to her husband, and the man said, what what was going on? She said, well, this little girl was at the door, and she said, does Jesus live at this house? And he responded, you told her about church. You told her about our work. You told her about the things we do. You told her about those things, didn't you? And the woman said, that's not what she asked. She asked if Jesus lives in this house. Whose house we are, is what the writer says. It is more than an address It is more than a nameplate. It is more than a title. We could put any title we want outside this building, and it doesn't mean a thing unless what we do and what we live within it becomes tied to Him. Whose house we are, it's more than just putting a number outside. We're not talking about a brick-and-mortar building here when we talk about whose house we are. We're talking about you, and we're talking about me. We're talking about people. We're talking about fleshly lives. We're talking about our spiritual existence. We're talking about our determination. That we are in Christ, as Paul writes in Galatians 3. We are baptized into Christ. Our lives are in Christ. In another place, he talks about our lives are hid with him. Consider that it is the character inhabiting the house that answers the question. The character of the owner within the house that answers the question, whose house are we? Do we reflect the image of Jesus? Do we reflect the heart of Jesus? Do we reflect the nature of Jesus in any situation in our lives? And so the writer says, whose house we are, and it's a statement. It's not really a question. It's just simply a statement. We are his house. He wasn't talking about an assembly of the church as much as he was just talking about people in general who are Christians, whose house we are on Monday and whose house we are on Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday and Wednesday and Friday and Sunday too. And so we think about this, whose house we are, because it reminds us It reminds us, as they say, I live here, but this is not my house. Just living there does not make it yours. Just going inside does not make it yours. It's not yours to do with as you please. You see, I grew up, son of a preacher, I grew up in a church-owned house for most of the years of my childhood. I grew up in a church-owned house in Lincoln, Nebraska, and then two as we lived in Tulsa. Church-owned houses. We didn't own the house. We lived in them. We were there. You know, we ate there. We slept there. We bathed there. We lived in that house. We even watched cartoons on the television in that house. 
We lived in that house. But there were also things we could not do to that house. Paul and I lived in church-owned houses a couple of times. And it was very clear, at least one of the time, it was very clear there are things you can do and things you cannot do in this house. And they were very clear about that. I live here, but this is not my house. Now, before you think, well, they shouldn't have treated me that way. No, they shouldn't have it. No. You realize that the ownership has a responsibility, and the ownership has an authority. The ownership, and when we say whose house we are, we're talking about we are Christ's house. It's not just subject to our whims and ideas. It's not just subject to whatever we want it to be, whenever we want it to be. We are His, and our lives are directed, are tied up, and reflective, hopefully reflective, of Him. And so I'll offer to you just a few thoughts in this, just two or three thoughts here in that regard, because I think the writer here has given it to us. We are His house if, if we hold fast to the confidence of the hope. This is no shot in the dark. It's not something you have today and you give it up tomorrow. You say, well, I'm just tired of it, and so that's the end of it. It's, it's a reality. It is, we are his house and our confidence of hope rests in him. We have an assurance in him. We have an absolute conviction of who he is and what he is and what he has for us. For we see then that the owner of the house, whose house we are, the owner of the house is our assurance. That's what Paul brought to bear in 1 Corinthians 15 when he really pressed home the idea. He says, now Christ is raised and he is the first fruits. Verse 20. He's the one that is going to, he's shown us. Christ is raised from the dead. If he wasn't, we'd be pitiful people, but he is raised from the dead. That's why we have that confidence. That's why we have that assurance. That's why that hope remains vital within us. We hold fast to the confidence of that hope because it helps keep us focused in the right direction. Secondly, we are his house if we hold fast to the rejoicing of the hope. You know, I said last week or a week or two ago, there was a lot of rejoicing when a child is born. We rejoice usually until they start to talk. And maybe we still rejoice a little bit until they become teenagers. I'm being facetious. But sometimes we lose sight of how blessed we are. And don't think of this word as rejoicing as we're partying every day. That's not, not what he means. Rejoicing is a sense of appreciation. Rejoicing is a sense of joy in knowing what you have and being blessed by it. We hold fast to the rejoicing of this hope. It doesn't become a drudgery. It doesn't become something that drags us down. We don't get up and say, oh, I've got to serve God today. That's all right if you say, all right, I've got to go listen to Russ for a little while. Now that one, I can, maybe the Lord will excuse that one. But aren't we blessed? Aren't we blessed to be able to live in the world, to have what we've got, to be able to hold on to the precious word that he has given to us? I think there are too many who stop seeing the positive value of the hope that's in us. I think about Demas, who was noted as a companion of Paul in works that he was doing, and then ultimately as he writes to Timothy in the latter part of his life, and he says, Demas has left me, having loved this present world. I get the impression Demas became disillusioned lost his sense of hope. You see, we have a daily reason to celebrate if we're willing. 
For you think about some of those words that Jesus shared just after he told Simon Peter, you're going to deny me. Then he comes back and he says, but let not your heart be troubled, John 14. You believe in God, believe also in me. For my father's house are many mansions. In other words, my father has his doors open to you. In my father's house are many places to dwell. And I go to prepare a place for you. That's exactly what he was doing. He was going to the cross. He was going to the grave. He was coming out of the grave to prepare a place for us. And we begin to see and understand that place in, in Acts 2 when we come to that great day of Pentecost and the message begins to preach. We have a place. We belong. We are his. We are in his house because he went and he prepared a place for us. We today are in his house. We have a daily reason to celebrate because we have a home here in him and with him. And we are his house, thirdly, if we hold fast to the hope, to the end of that hope. You say, wait a minute, to the end of that hope? Yes, and that's literally what I mean. There will come a time, there will come a time when hope is no longer needed. Maybe you've heard the question sometimes offered to children, or maybe you've offered it. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a child again. <laughs> no, not really. And a little child might respond with one thing or another. I want to be a mother and a wife. I want to be a school teacher. I want to be a fireman. Whatever. I want to be this. And there comes a point that that child grows to adulthood. 45, 55, 65, well, anyway. There comes a point when that child grows to adulthood and fulfills that hope. You see, that hope is no longer hope. It's the reality. And hope becomes the reality. It is a, it's kind of like having this mortgage that you're paying all along the way, and month by month you're paying the mortgage. Then one day you get the notice, say, the mortgage is paid up then hope is realized. That's why Paul would write as he did at the end of that great chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, the 13th verse. He said there are three abiding things, and now abide these three things, he says. Faith, hope, love. But he goes on to say the greatest of these is love. Why? Because that's the enduring thing. Faith and hope reach their end, but love continues on. We hold fast to the end of hope. We don't stop. We don't lose it. We go right to the end with it. I live here, but this is not my house. It belongs to the Lord. Maybe in, in your life you have, you have had or do have at this present a friend. A friend, and when you are with that friend, with that friend, you were totally relaxed. You figuratively let your hair down. And that wherever you are, you can say what you need to say, do what you need to do. You don't have to put up any front. You don't have to pretend to be anything. You can just literally be yourself. And perhaps one of the best states we ever find is when we can just be honestly who we are with no pretense whatsoever. Whose house we are. He knows us, and we can be ourselves with him. 
When I think back, friends, when I think back, there were days that I was absolutely confident of whose house I was. Young adulthood especially. For I knew all the right doctrines and applied them appropriately. I could quote and point to the scriptures. But maybe I missed some things. Maybe I missed some things along the way. For I don't know that I began to fully comprehend the marvelous power of what grace really means. Of what mercy that is bestowed. And what love that builds and restores truly means. Maybe it takes a lifetime to learn some of those things. Maybe we learn them all along the way. And so I offer to you the thought, if we are his house, we will live the character of him as fully as we can. And while we live here, doesn't it just simply make sense? Doesn't it just simply make sense? We strive to be his house. For whose house would you rather be? We're going to sing a song of encouragement this morning. Let it be an opportunity, an invitation. For if there's someone that needed to respond this morning, we want you to take advantage of that today. We stand ready and anxious to assist you in whatever the need might be. But let it be.